Welcome to Aspen Chapel's podcast on today, the 7th of February. Today, we're going to be marking the beginning of Lent with a, uh, an ashing um, ritual, which we're going to be doing here in the chapel. If you're listening to this, you'll be able to hear all the bits leading up to the ashing, the explanation. Uh, there's going to be a guided uh, meditation, also some readings. If you're watching it, you'll be able to see uh, what's going on. Um, you can see the whole service on our main website where you'll be able to see the ashing as well. Hope you enjoy it. <clears throat> well, good morning, everyone. And uh, welcome to our ritual for the beginning of Lent today. I know when some of you arrive and you see the chairs in a different place, you're ah! <laughs> just notice the feelings that you have. There's some seats around here if you'd like some. Um, in a sense, a ritual, the reason for having a ritual is that it grounds things in reality. It grounds things in having to move in your body, as well as just all the burbling that goes on in church and all the, 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 the occasional singing. The idea of a ritual, like communion, for example, is to actually do something to represent what we're trying to say and what we're trying to do in the church or in the chapel or in whatever where environment that, that we're in. Um, you see rituals in many different sorts of things. See, there'll be a ritual to actually commemorate 9-11, where they maybe will light candles. And all the way through in our lives, you have different places for rituals. And today, uh, we're going to do a ritual for the beginning of Lent. Now, someone said to me as we walked in, Lent doesn't start till next week. But actually, Ash Wednesday is this coming Wednesday. And um, being Aspen Chapel, we tend to celebrate things on the Sunday rather than the Wednesday. So we're going to uh, use today for the beginning of Lent. There's some chairs just here, Heinz, just uh, at the back here. If you'd like to come sit down over there. And, and oh, that's great. Just come round and plenty of chairs here. Um, by its very nature, Lent is an inner journey, really. It's a journey into ourselves, Lent. Um, some chairs around here, Barbara, just if you'd like to come around here. Um, Lent was actually, uh, it's, it's the 46 days before Easter Lent. And Lent, the actual word, comes from a German word, which means, comes from, it means spring in German, but it comes from the root word, which means to lengthen. And it's about the lengthening of the days. So the days begin to, to lengthen as we come out of the darkness and into the light. That's where the word Lent comes from. But it's 46 days, and those 46 days represent the 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights. Anyone know why it's 46? The reason it's 46 is that uh, they don't count Sundays. <laughs> and in the old church, you, you'd have your fasting, but on Sundays was the day of the resurrection of feast day, so they went madly eating and drinking on the Sunday as well. So it's the 40 days and 40 nights before uh, Easter. And it's always been a time, traditionally, people were um, baptized at Easter. And so there'll be a period of fasting and actually returning to that resurrection Christ in oneself during that period of time leading up to Easter itself, when you accept uh, the resurrection, whatever it is, at the Easter moment. And where it's come to, really, is 
and I think the, the modern interpretation of, of Lent, the idea really is, is it's an opportunity to look at ourselves, to look at our internal workings, to look at, you know, what drives us, you know, what we tend to do to compensate for the pain or whatever it is we have in our life. What, what, what is motivating us in our lives? As see, it's just the back here, Phyllis, and there we just say. What's motivating us in our lives? And today is really an opportunity to look in to yourself and to see where you're at in your life. Uh, over the last uh, period of time, last week, uh, we looked at the nature of the still point in a turning world, that we were the still point. And what we're going to look at today is, if we are the still point, what sort of labels have you put on that still point for yourself? Who have you come, what ideas have you come to about who you think you are? And who do other people think you are in your life? And are you happy with that? And do you maybe want to let go of some of that and open yourself to be remade in the image of that great spirit or whatever it is? So we're opening ourselves to that spirit. We're opening ourselves to, to be remade. And it's the beginning of a process that leads up to Easter. Um, during the uh, service itself, during the ritual itself, there's going to be an opportunity. The, the idea of the ritual is the death of who we think we are. And in Ash Wednesday, the ash represents death. Um, there'll be an opportunity to come up here and receive ash on your forehead. And someone will say to you, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Uh, accept the way of Christ or something like that, those sorts of words. And they'll put some ash in your forehead. And that is to give you the idea of simply dying to yourself and to who you are. So what we're going to do during this ritual, it'll be a journey into yourself. There'll be some quiet moments, some reflective times, a little bit of chanting, which we'll lead. So just being with that. So, so just use this as an opportunity just to explore where you are in your life. So we're going to begin with just the a lighting of a candle. And I'm going to read something now from Thomas Merton. And this one I'm going to read now, to me, sums up why we do this. Thomas Merton talks about there being a false self, the self that we create in our own minds as to who we are, rather than the self that God would probably want us to be. He says that every one of us is shadowed by an illusory person, a false self. This is the man or woman that I want myself to be, but you cannot exist because God does not, does not know anything about him or her. And to be unknown to God is altogether too much privacy. My false self my private self is the one who wants to exist outside the reach of that divine spirit, outside of that reality and outside of life. And such a self cannot help but be an illusion. We're not very good at recognizing illusions, least of all the ones that we cherish about ourselves, the ones we're born with and which feed the roots of our delusion. For most people in the world, there is no greater subjective reality than this false self of theirs, which cannot really exist. 
A life devoted to the cult of this shadow is what's called a life of illusion. All this illusion starts from the assumption that my full self, the self that exists only in my egocentric desires, is the fundamental reality in life to which everything else in the universe is ordered. Thus, I use up my life in the desire for pleasure and the thirst for experiences. I use up my life in the desire for power, for honor, for knowledge and love to clothe this false self and construct its nothingness into something that's objectively real. And I wind these experiences around myself and cover myself with pleasures and glory like bandages in order to make myself perceptible to myself and to the world. As if I were an invisible body that could only become visible when something visible covers its surface. But there is no substance under the things which I am clothed. I am hollow and my structure of pleasures and ambition has no foundation. I am objectified by them. But they are all destined by their very contingency at the end to be destroyed. And when they're gone, there'll be nothing left of me but my own nakedness and emptiness and hollowness to tell me that my life has been my own greatest mistake. So maybe just, we just consider, just take a moment just to arrive in the room and just consider ourselves in the light of that false self. Just thinking about the things that are concerning us at the moment. The things that we've decided are important. The busyness that roars around our life. That old idea that the spiritual life is like a swimming pool. All the noise comes from the shallow end. And we drop down into that deep side of ourselves. A side that's untouched by the shallowness. A side that feeds us and gives us life. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, that spirit knows everything that's going on in our hearts, And we ask it to come and cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. We're going to sing a a chant now. And uh, it's on the back page, bless the Lord my soul.
And the idea of a chant like this is just to, you sing the same words over and over again. And the idea is to allow those words just to echo in your heart and the music to echo in your heart. And you just hear the words become you. Maybe with your eyes closed, become aware of your presence in this room. Become aware of the sensations you experience in your body. Of the touch of the clothes you're wearing. The chair that you're sitting on. Become aware of the sounds all around you. Become aware of your breathing. Now imagine an animal fully alive, alert. qualities bring that alertness about, that aliveness. See it twitch and move. For you, what does it mean in yourself to be fully alive, to have that alertness that awareness of the animal. One thing's for certain, that animal's not living in the past or the future. It's in the present. You cannot be alive if you cling to yesterday. For yesterday is a memory, a creation of the mind. It is not real. So to live in yesterday is to be dead. Therefore, let go of your yesterdays, your propensity for living in the past. One way of living in the past is to hold on to grievances, That's a first step towards being fully present. Think of someone you resent. Just bring them up in your mind. And if you're able to do so, offer that person an amnesty. Or an absolution. And let them go. Giving up living in the past means dropping regrets as cleanly as you drop resentments. 
What do you tend to look upon as loss in your life? Your failings? Your mistakes? Your handicaps? Lack of opportunities? So-called bad experiences? They brought you to where you are. Try to see them as a blessing. For in the dance of life, all things cooperate to do us good. <coughs> Think of something you really regret. Now try and welcome it. See how that event or lack of event has shaped your life and allowed you to be the person that you are. Now look at experiences that you treasure. Experiences like worldly goods can be accumulated and if you cling to them, it's like living in the past. So try to be prepared to say goodbye to them. Persons you have loved and continue to love. Places you have been to that are special. Things you have done. Possessions. Things you treasure. Say goodbye and thank you. And try to let go of your past. Now look to your future and begin to let go of that too. For the future, like the past, is dead. It's a construction of the mind. And to live in it is to be dead here and now. Your ambition to acquire to achieve, to be somebody in the future. Think of something that you really want, something that you're ambitious for. And just imagine that it doesn't come about. And try to welcome that. Life is not tomorrow, life is now. So imagine you push away all ideas of possibilities and are just existing in the present. Notice any relief of letting go. And while you've released yourself from the past and the future and you're in the present, take a look at the sort of person that you think you are right now. What sort of character have you got? What sort of things are you that you enjoy? Things you don't enjoy? What are you good at? And what are you bad at? What are your strengths and weaknesses? I try and let go of those too. And know that you're not that person. 
That's just who you think you are. It has no bearing on who God wants you to be. It's just the best picture you have of yourself. And now look at yourself through the eyes of others. How do people think of you? Where does it differ from your view of yourself? What do they get wrong? And what do they get right? Now see that it all means nothing. It's just other people's ideas of who you are. It has no bearing on who God wants you to be. It's just the best picture that they have of you. So let go of that. And now that you've let go of all but the very present, and that you're dead to all that you thought you were and others thought you were, just be in that place. Naked. Aware. Present. Dead to all but the present. And get a sense of what it might be to start at that place. To start into the season of Lent freshly. Dead to who you are, dead to the past, dead to the future, in the present. So I'm just going to invite you just to open your eyes. And just to represent that, the process of ashing allows you to form that on your forehead, what you've done in your own mind. So I'm going to invite Greg to come up and CP to come up and Patty to come up. And what we're going to do is we're going to stand like this and round. And anybody who would like to can come forward. There's no compulsion. This can come forward. And you'll receive on your forehead just a stroke of ash to represent that death. So, Greg, would you like to come forward and to just pick up the, the thing? And uh, you, there's no need to queue. You can just come forward when you like uh, to do that. And um, so you just face this way. That's it. So we're going to have just a bit further forward. That's it. So you don't light yourself with a candle. That's good. And so when you want to do that, I'm just going to say a prayer. And then we're going to stand here. And those that want to come forward, please can. So... And so we come before you, living God, dead to ourselves, but alive to you, open 
to your living presence and dead to all we thought we were. We now come forward to take on the ashes of death. From dust we came and to dust we shall return. We open now to the presence of death, the death we experience in this moment, the death that is to come to us all. Steer us with the guiding power of your love that we may reach towards that light which brings us new life in you. And so I invite you to come forward and receive the symbol of death on your forehead. Dead to ourselves, we are ready to begin Lent, which is in itself a preparation for death and resurrection, to receive the risen Christ into our hearts. And so now we must open ourselves and ask how we are to spend that time of preparation. Maybe just get a sense of what would work for you over this period? Any practice, any way of being? Anything to take up or let go? We'll be returning to the idea over the next few Sundays. But get a sense of your own identity. How you'd like to express it. Just from the words on the service sheet, let's say together, Father of us, the one who is in the heavens, hallowed be your nature. May your kingdom come. May your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Give us today our bread from above that gives our whole life meaning. Cancel our debts as we cancel the accounts of those indebted towards us. And let us not be led into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Just some follow-up words from Thomas Merton. The secret of my identity is hidden in the love and mercy of God. 
But whatever is in God is really identical with him, for his infinite simplicity admits no division or distinction. Therefore, I cannot hope to find myself anywhere truly except in that great spirit. Ultimately, the only way that I can be myself is to become identified with him in whom is hidden the reason and fulfillment of my existence. Therefore, there is only one problem on which all my existence, my peace and my happiness depend. To discover myself in discovering God. If I find him, I will find myself. And if I find my true self, I will find God. But although this looks simple, it is in reality immensely difficult. In fact, if I'm left to myself, it will be utterly impossible. For although I can know something of God's existence and nature by my own reason, there is no human and rational way in which I can arrive at that contact, that possession of him, which will be the discovery of who he really is and who I really am in him. That is something that no man and woman can do alone. Nor can all the men and women and all the created things in the universe help him in this work. The only one who can teach me to find God is God himself alone. I'm going to read Psalm 131 now, which is really a prayer, and then we're going to just sing that second chant, which is on the back of the, uh, of the service sheet. And hopefully it represents where we are at the moment. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. <laughs> 